0: Me kind of de weaponize so I can
1: right. I really hope one day you get attacked before you get a chance to do any of your weapon stuff <laughs> and you're just left on the road with all my weapons. and right bleeding with your weapons, like f- having fallen off a person strewn about. Cops come and you're unconscious. They're like, wow, shame he couldn't have used any of these 50 weapons <laughs> on this person.
0: I'm really glad that that's what you're hoping for in life. <laughs> My my personal... Ironic lessons. No, uh, if no, if yeah,
1: anyone has yeah. taught a lesson, I hope it includes some... Irony. irony to- yeah.
0: Okay, so Dale, this is our first podcast. Yep. Um, cheek to Cheek. Is cheek that what we're calling it? We're not calling it Cheek to Cheek. We're going to have to come up with a name. But this is our first podcast. Um, all Things Considered. I think there might be a copyright issue <laughs> with that. Um, Such a great name. All things considered. For That's why they took it. I know. So,
1: the general everything idea... Everything considered. Everything considered. <laughs> We're not copying. The general idea is uh, that the two of us talk about stuff all the time. And usually if not coming up with a brilliant solution to age-old problems that have dogged humanity, we at least decide we have, for the first time, asked the correct questions. Because at the time, that's the problem. We're frustrated with the fact that uh, there are all these interesting questions out there and no one even is asking them. So we are here to bring a light to the world, shine a light in the darkness.
0: Yes. I, I think that pretty much sums up Kind of our angst.
1: Yes, <clears throat> it's uh, this is born of, born of frustration, uh, copious amounts of booze, uh, which is a, a lubricant to deep thought. It is. It is. So, one of the things. Even that though today we're we're stimulating with coffee instead of lubricating with alcohol.
0: I had a lot of alcohol last night, so. You gotta you gotta balance it out.
1: Yeah. So for our, uh, um, for our first podcast,
0: what do you want to talk about? Well, you know, following up on the angst issue, looking at how crazy it is to be an American right now and all of the political upheavals from the left to the right, from conservatives to Republicans – Uh, conservatives and Republicans and Democrats and liberals and all that. Um, One of the things that's bothered me is how we have seen the world be carved up in a very rigid line. What do you mean, like politically? Well, let's, okay, let me just lay, I'll just lay it out. That's laid out. All right, here we go. So one of the things... Are one of the good things, and I think this is something that everyone could admit if they were allow themselves to admit that there could have been a good thing that came out of the election of Donald Trump, of which I did not vote for him and I have no real concern one way or another who was going to be president. I didn't particularly like either one of the people running. Um, but one of the good things that seemingly could have come out of that presidency or out of his presidency is his rejection, at least what its apparent rejection was, as far as rhetoric goes, of seeing the world in kind of a black and white way, where you had kind of this NATO alliance against Russia, you had South Korea and Japan and, and uh, in the Philippines against uh, China, and you had the Sunnis. Uh, and in the Middle East against the Shia uh, in the Middle East, primarily represented between the two powers to be there of Saudi Arabia and Iran. Iran. It seemed like he was going to come in and just kind of ignore all of that because why do we have those lines so strictly drawn? Why why are we involved in all of these various places?
1: Okay, so I'll admit that I, uh, even during the election... I really couldn't stand to listen to more than about two minutes of uh, I'll be fair and say either candidate speaking. (laughs) Uh, So I did some research, saw some, you know, saw some policy promises and blah, blah, blah. And I I was with you. I wasn't excited about either candidate and ended up not voting for uh, either one. Um, You may pat me on the back or string me up depending on uh, how you feel about that. But given, given that's the case, I don't really know what his rhetoric was about. Uh, in terms of, you know, let, let's ignore the way the the world's divided up. I assumed it was because he was more interested in in business, sort of seeing the world through business terms. Hey, let's make a deal. I don't care whose whose side you're on in, in this, you know, centuries old uh, philosophical or religious divide um you know if, if you have some oil, then maybe we 'll buy it from you I, you know who cares if we were enemies before we can be friends now is that kind of what you were was that what he was uh the picture he was painting uh, of his potential sort of presidency while he was running
0: well he just i mean he would make comments like you know nato is outdated yeah yeah you know, and of course the the whole russia thing i mean he he, he obviously didn't have an an inherent fear of Russia, which every other politician has seemed to have, except for Barack Obama when he was first elected. Barack Obama had a similar outlook toward Russia that I think Donald Trump had coming in, I think still has. But you can see, I mean, so NATO was one thing, Um, as far as China goes, he had, you know, he, his primary dealings with China was going to be on the business side of things and dealing with currency manipulation and all this kind of stuff. He really wasn't concerned about getting into any kind of wars, seemingly, you know. He, sim- he essentially was an isolationist. He thought America was too over-involved in other people's affairs right. overseas. And I actually thought that was that was a good thing i think he was right i think you know i don't think he's just right i think those who think in those terms are are correct we are way over i think way over uh extended in other people's affairs currently
1: but if we're not doing that doesn't that make us sort of uh nationalists and and you know not not team players with with the world don't we have a a global economy now and and isn't globalism the, the way of the future? And if, if we are jumping out of that, then that's just backwards and we're moving backwards from, from the current of progress? Well, I'm I mean, a devil's advocate.
0: No, I mean, I, I don't think that that necessarily means you abandon the world if you don't want to, you know, start a nuclear war with North Korea or you've abandoned a war, you know, if...
1: Nuclear, even? Even a, a nuclear nuclear what?
0: what what did I say nuclear oh uh, nuclear nu- you know what I'm saying
1: uh, uh,
0: anyway this begins the first of
1: many segments where Stephen corrects Dale's pronunciations and um punctuation and punctuate well if it's not written then there's I, I don't see what well, your yeah. brain's doing uh, pronunciation or punctuation possibly
0: I don't know I think you've done it before
1: you know what you do when speaking that you never do when typing
0: is use contractions. Your wheel. It's because I was told that not to use contractions when I was writing papers for college. Yeah, but text messages and Facebook and email. Uh, that was the way it was. It just carried over into everything I did. Okay.
1: A little window into the way Dale's mind works. Once he's told how to do something I was once, trained for matter.
0: six years in undergrad and graduate school not to... Not to use that, so I just did what I needed to get something out of that seventy thousand dollars. I'm still paying on. <laughs> so n- not using contractions is what. You That's all want I got. That's got. all I got. If I have to suffer for it, and then I figure out if other people do as well.
1: All right. I'm sorry. I
0: knocked you off track. All right. Anyway, nuclear uh, stuff. Well, I'm just saying it was it was a little it was it was an interesting thing that we ha- had a politician coming into the office who didn't see the world so rigid. Sure. As it has been mm-hmm. laid out for the past, say, 20 to 30 years.
1: Yep. Yep. However,
0: however, it has been interesting to watch that the people he brought in around him has, in effect, uh, changed his policy. His mind. Least, on- I don't know if his mind, yeah. but at least his policy, to where we're right back almost identical to almost every democrat republican administration going back to ronald reagan you have now a a, you you have once again an israeli saudi arabia alliance in the middle east over and against iran you have a uh, southeast asian uh coalition forming to come combat north korea and china as their backer and you have a And you know the entire European Union and NATO uh, being coalesced and bringing America, basically bringing America along unwillingly to confront Russia. Um, And all of that's playing itself out, just like it always does. It's it's just an, an interesting thing to see how hardwired our politicians are to seeing the world in that very strict way
1: that is interesting
0: and and i mean that that was his whole trip just now i mean his whole trip his whole presidency was and it, it's also interesting because his whole presidency was said to be um focusing on america first but pretty much everything he's tried to do to to bring some changes that he wants to do policy wise stateside has failed <laughs> maybe for good or for bad depends on which side of the uh aisle you're on but everything he didn't want to do, as far as overseas, he is doing, and he's succeeding at what he didn't want to do, as far as his rhetoric said. So he's being very successful on the world stage of doing basically what the powers to be want him to do. It, you know, he's, he's succeeding, but failing overseas, as far as his own rhetoric goes. But he is failing here on what he actually wanted to be successful for. It's just yeah. a bit of a, it's a huge <clears throat> irony. Okay, so... How ought the world be I don't know see <laughs> I mean I don't say i I just think it's I just think it's I don't know why we why we need to be fighting Iran. I don't know why, and obviously there are, there may be things in the intelligence community and in you know that upper echelons of governments around the world that they really know what's going on, and so they're moving their you know war drums the way they need to move them because it is the way. The world's just going to be... So, I mean, that's that's a problem I've
1: always had um, as, as soon as I sort of developed the uh, the co-ideas of the government is in charge of stuff, but I also, as a citizen, am responsible for my government. You know, we're supposed to form opinions about things based on the best information we have, but at the same time, you've got... The government, we we know that we have upper echelons and and intelligence wings that keep secrets and and we don't know if we have all of the information that we ought to have in order to make the best decisions. Does it even make sense to form an opinion about about the world and about how things go? How tainted is all the information by the time it gets to us? Can we trust the government, what it tells us? Can we trust the media? Um, Even if they're giving us bits of the truth, is it, you know... Spun within a narrative that's so lopsided in terms of, you know, reality that, that even the kernels of truth, we don't recognize for what they are. So, I mean, what, what, what do we do? What's our responsibility as citizens?
0: Well, I think we will never have all the information. Do we have enough to make informed decisions about things? Well, I mean, you, here's what I would say. One has to make decisions and it's not necessarily asking the question do i have enough to make the decision it's do i utilize the information that i do have access to to make the best decision based off of that information that i do have so i i I would say it's not a matter you know because we can always have more we can always have more information we can always have more knowledge so when you have to make a decision at a given time it's not do i have enough but am i using the information that i do have well and at my disposal and, and actually processing it correctly to to be able to make the decision that needs to be made in that given circumstance
1: and also making sure that the you know you're trying to given that we're never going to have all the information at least still making sure that you've got as much as you can get
0: instead of well uh, yes this- yeah, due diligence. Staying in, in a, a, a information bubble. Which, you know, is Echo what everybody, yeah, everybody... That's what everybody's doing right now in America. Everyone's listening to the person that they want to listen to who agrees with them. And no one's asking any questions that might challenge their own assumptions. Politically, religiously, um, whatever. So that's... I mean, that's a huge problem right now. We have... Access to more information than any other human beings in the history of civil, you know, human human civilization. But we're deciding that we only want to read the stuff that we already agree with and take in information that we already agree with, which is just. Is it because there's too much? Is it because there's so much? No, I don't think it's because there's so much. I think it's because we're very prideful people and we like patting ourselves on the back so we we naturally gravitate towards material that already kind of confirms what we believe i guess
1: i guess because of the quantity and freedom of of accessing all this information though w- when i ask is if there's too much i mean like if, what if there was less but the mixture was more balanced and distilled in a in a much more um concentrated way. Like there were only a few outlets and they were diligent about making sure that various viewpoints were, if there are various viewpoints on an issue, they're all represented instead of this outlet sort of aggregating all of the info of one viewpoint and this outlet aggregating all of the info of another viewpoint. And and so it's so easy to, we feel like we're getting a lot of information, but it's all of the same
0: Till, yeah. Well, we are. We're getting a whole lot, uh, but like you said, it's it's just primarily there to reinforce what we already believe or think, rather than to help us to think through everything. And we, and here's the thing: it doesn't mean that you come to a different conclusion if you if you question your own assumptions. You may still believe the very thing you believed coming you know coming at it from the beginning. Yeah, but. At least you know you've thought through something instead of just simply accepting it as fact from the beginning and not doing business with it so and, and that brings us all the way back around to again the question that I just kind of had kind of rumbling in the back of my mind over this past week as Trump went all over the world how did we how did we go just in these past four months from this guy saying all the stuff that he said for the past year and a half to basically being right back where we've always been with the world divided in this very stark way that seems to be inevitably confrontational i mean it's not just that the world's divided in this way it's that it's divided militarily like it's just it's it seems to be like we're sitting on uh, a knife's edge right now and it's it doesn't seem to be for any good reason that i can tell we're trying to shear up nato why because russia and ukraine are having issues do i wish that they weren't fighting of course i wish they weren't fighting but i need to be stocking my arms because they're fighting right exactly i mean and and there is a long history ukraine and russia have a very long history, long, you know, they've been around, those two general regions have been around each other far longer than America has even existed. And for us to be trying to get involved in that domestic dispute, I just don't think is, is I don't think it's our business. Same thing with North Korea and South Korea. I don't know why we have to have 28,000 troops sitting on the border of North Korea, because All that seems to be doing is causing them to be more belligerent and more confrontational because they're afraid of us militarily, right? And honestly, the the irony of it is those 28,000 troops are there not because they actually could win a war. They're only there so that if North Korea does something, Americans can be killed and we can be pulled into a war. No one thinks that twenty-eight thousand troops can fight off a million-man army from the north. Their sole reason for being there is for military fodder.
1: Let me ask you this: Do I mean? Do you know of I don't know the the situation of those troops? I know we know uh, at least one person who's actually stationed there right now. Um, but do what? Do they have? Is Possibly one of their purposes, anti-missile
0: capabilities. Are are they stationed there with anything that can shoot missiles down? Well, they we've just now shipped over a THAAD system to North Korea. But it's not just our 28,000 troops. There's South Korean troops there. With well, the too, South right? Korean, I think, have a 700,000-man army. So they have a huge army. Hmm. But no one thinks that those 28,000, as good fighters as they are or whatever, are really there... To be like some kind of true, like their whole strategic purpose is to be... Just to make sure we're involved. Yes. Just to make sure that if South Korea is attacked, American blood will be on the hands of North Korea.
1: Okay, so generally America has had a habit of getting involved in in foreign affairs when we deem... "Quote unquote," whoever we is and and whatever the criteria for deeming this, but we deem people to be at risk of crimes against humanity, kind of thing like hunger, starvation, crimes of a government against uh, against its people, things like that. That's that's why we're always saying you know we want to spread democracy, democracy being sort of our our shorthand way of saying we want to spread a way of governing and life uh, that. Well, it's like ours. We're all fat and happy over here. So, you know, we, we should make sure everyone has that opportunity. So it's very, you know, generous motive. It seems like we tell ourselves, but what if that's, you know, not the whole story? What, what other purposes, what other reasons do we have for being involved? Honestly, I don't know. I I, I do think personally that that's a good motivation for getting involved. If people are truly um, suffering, like like life-threatening suffering at the hands of a government. However, how do you fix that? Like, is your involvement going to do anything positive at all for those people? Not only in, in the short term, but in the long term as well. And I think that's where we've failed over and over and over and over again. Every time we go in and intervene somewhere for the good of the people, inevitably, especially in the Middle East, we've seen uh, power vacuums, get filled by ISIS nasty governments or you know uh, non-governmental groups that come in and just take power and you think you think we learned the lesson after a while that whatever our motives may be practically we have to consider if the consequences are going to achieve our motives if they're going to actually make things better and uh, yeah I mean I agree I I think the original sort of rhetoric of America first was actually not a horrible thing to consider. Had it come from anyone else's mouth, maybe it would have been taken more seriously and, and would have been less caricatured as some sort of fascist nationalist sort of, you know, Uh. uh, evil, whatever. But yeah, I mean, we're, we're Americans and uh, we have a house to manage and we keep pretending like it's perfectly managed. Therefore, we can we can go into the world and and help everyone else manage theirs, but ours is not managed that well. So I, I would love to see more focus on our own uh, our own country, fixing infrastructure, fixing our healthcare system, fixing all kinds of things, instead of repeating the same mistakes, because. The policies aren't changing and the practices, the strategies aren't changing. So, why, what, what in the world do we have to, why would we think that anything would change in terms of the outcome of going and and intervening in
0: North Korea or wherever else at this point? Yeah. I mean, still in Syria. I, I don't, I mean, you can broadly speaking, I think there is a military, there's a military infrastructure in the world and that military infrastructure. The mindset that's in that, I think, has... I know, I know what they're saying, let's put it this way. Why we're involved in these areas. Why NATO, why South Korea, all this stuff. Because we're still seeing, or we still view Russia and China as kind of like our biggest nemesis. And there's a fear that Russia will start advancing. Not, that, he won't, that they're not just going to stop with Ukraine, they're going to they're continue to move eastward. And Russia, you know, Russia may have aspirations to that. I still don't know why we have to be involved, per se, unless they start actually forming something like the Soviet Union again and trying to, by force, force people back into uh, servitude. Uh, But China, the whole reason why uh, we say we're in South Korea is to protect against North Korea, but it's ultimately because there's still a fear about China and whether or not China would overtake South Korea and and China's whole role in the South South China Sea um, in kind of expanding their border. Um, But once again, it's not expanding their border into our territory. It's expanding it into, you know, potentially expanding it into Vietnam, expanding it in the Philippines, expanding it in Japan. But why, once again, unless they are literally forcing those people into servitude why would we want to be caught in the middle of a southeast asian war why not let china and and japan handle their own turf wars in the middle of a freaking sea? you know china is not sending troops to japan china is not sending troops to vietnam china is not sending troops anywhere overseas so why are we once again why are we there i don't know i don't i don't get it there may be something like i said in that top-tier echelon of chatter and intelligence that's telling people, oh, they are going to send troops here if we don't keep our troops there, so forth and so on. I don't know. Or it might
1: just be our our barely living, we we have very few people living still, that I remember, but somewhat living memory of the advancing Soviet Union, before that the advancing Nazi uh, Germany. So we just don't like seeing advancement. Yes. And, and maybe we're just at all costs. We're
0: like, nope, nope. These are the borders. Nobody gets to advance. Stay in your borders. Which again, though, that's fine if that was our mentality. But at least with China and the South Southeast Asian territory, they're not trying to expand their borders. The only thing they're doing is is in the is dealing with the ocean and rights, dealing with ocean rights and 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 particular islands in the Southeast Asia. And I just don't understand why. Yeah, If we aren't there, they'll definitely take them because none of the other smaller countries around that area could even begin to fight China. So you're you're acquiescing and saying, yeah, we're going to give you know whatever territory in the middle of the ocean, or the excuse me, middle of the sea, South China Sea, they want, they're going to take. But I don't understand why that should be any of our concern.
1: Well, we do have a navy that, like any good muscle, unless it's flexed, will
0: atrophy. And that's the other, yep, that's the other thing. We do have military, and if you have it, why not use it? We that's, sure put a lot of money into it, so yeah, we do might as well get our money's worth, which is a whole another topic eventually for us to talk about. Well, Dale,
1: I think we've come to uh, the conclusion of a decent, decent little uh, questioning of the way the world's drawn up and, and why we uh, are so comfortable with. Continuing on in the same old patterns, even though it doesn't seem to ever fix anything, and things only get worse. Maybe we'll come to an answer at another time. Sounds good. The questions at least have been asked. Uh, well, I guess we're—is that the end of the podcast?
0: Yeah, it's good for me. Awesome. <laughs> we need a tagline. We need something to tell I know. people. I know. We'll, we got to. We'll, we'll get a tagline when we have a name. <laughs> that will we'll have an alpha and an omega. The beginning and the end. By next time, we promise to have a name. Stephen and
1: Dale, signing off.